We've been pursuing a chapter by chapter study through the book of Joshua. We're in chapter 23. Our text this morning is going to be all 16 of those verses. The topic we'll see Joshua, now an old man, gathers together the leaders of Israel to speak to them about remaining faithful to the Lord after his death. The title of our message The Old Man and the Speech. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much this morning for the blessed privilege of opening your word, reading it, studying it, and allowing the Holy Spirit to take it and speak to us from the very throne room of God. For those of us who are born again, Lord, and have the Spirit indwelling, I pray that there would be great illumination that every corner of our life would be illuminated to us and that we would understand, Lord, the f- to the fullness what you want to teach us this morning. And Lord, if there are people here this morning who are not born again, they've never really given their heart and their life to you, well, Holy Spirit, we know that you're here to minister to them as well, to reveal Jesus risen from the dead as their Savior and Lord. It's a spiritual transaction. It's a supernatural thing, Lord, that we can't contrive or make happen. But we can ask you, Lord, to do your work and to have the freedom to do your work in the hearts of others. Lord, they may or may not know it, but they desperately need the forgiveness of their sins. To be saved now and for eternity. And we pray, Lord, that you would show them Jesus. Your word is alive and it's powerful. We pray that we would do nothing to diminish it, but everything to enhance it. And now we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And all who agreed said, Amen. You hear it at almost every Christian wedding. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. It is the benediction God spoke at the marriage of the very first couple. Leaving and cleaving have thus become forever associated with marriage. As a result, you're a little surprised by what Joshua says in verse 8 of chapter 23, as long as you're reading it in the King James Version of the Bible. There it says, But cleave unto the Lord your God. Their relationship with the Lord was being likened to a marriage. They had left the world behind and should continue to cleave to the Lord. The marriage metaphor is our point of contact with this chapter. Your relationship with the Lord is, in the New Testament, also compared to a marriage. Christians are described as being engaged to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is described as a, a, an engagement promise. When Jesus returns, it will be as a bridegroom for his bride. We're encouraged to remain faithful to Jesus until our marriage in eternity. We're expected to leave the world behind and daily to cleave to the Lord. Joshua emphasized two traits the Israelites would need in order to leave and cleave. They are courage and carefulness. It makes sense that we should emphasize them too. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, it takes courage for you to leave the world. And number two, it takes carefulness for you to cleave to the Lord. First of all, in verses 1 through 10, it takes courage for you to leave the world. Now, what do we even mean when we say leave the world? 
you have to admit it sounds weird. Uh, we're used to that kind of term. I suppose somebody's here this morning and, and I'm talking about we're going to leave the world. You're thinking I'm going to leave this service because, uh, you know, that reminds me of the Heaven's Gate cult down in San Diego. They thought they were going to leave the world, too. They, they thought that there was a spaceship coming in the tail of the Hale-Bopp comet. And they committed mass suicide so that they would book passage on the spaceship. And so I, I understand your sympathies. We're not into that. Let me set your fears at ease. The word world in the New Testament is the Greek word cosmos. It means order or arrangement. For example, it's the word we get cosmetics from. Ladies, cosmetics bring order to your face. As you arrange your face the way you'd like. First service, I was able to redeem myself. So let's see if I can dig out of this. Now, our use of the term world, it's going to take a while. But anyway, our use of the term world is more specific. The apostle, uh, did I say Pacific or specific? Did I say that? Okay. The apostle Paul, no, it was apostle John actually who wrote. <laughs> the apostle John wrote in 1 John two fifteen and 16, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. John also identified Satan as, quote, the ruler of this world. So when we say world or the world, we mean the current reality on the earth as ruled over by Satan. When you leave the world, you don't go anywhere. But rather, everywhere you go, you have a new, a heavenly perspective on what is really happening. Our new heavenly perspective can be summarized by saying we are in the world, but not of the world. And really, though, there are deeper theological explanations and, and definitions you could give. There's really nothing better than that. A Christian is in the world, but not of the world system, of the world reality. What's the one thing you need to go on leaving the world? Joshua said it was courage in verse 6. Therefore, be very courageous. You'll need spiritual courage to go on leaving the world. So let's see how we muster this courage. Beginning in verse 1, Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. Now, the first thing I note is that God had given the Israelites an example to bolster their courage. Joshua had lived a life of victory from his time as a slave in Egypt to his serving Moses to his spying out of the promised land to his 40 years wandering in the desert, to his leading the conquest of the promised land, to his distributing of the inheritance, he had been a man who in every sense was leaving the world behind to pursue his Lord. 
When you asked about Joshua, you never heard that he had fallen away. You didn't hear that he was backslidden. You, you had no thought that he was doing anything but progressing in his walk with the Lord. The Bible men and women we encounter in its pages are each an example to us of ordinary people who nevertheless left the world to follow the Lord. Some of them teach us similar lessons. Some of them teach us unique lessons. But all of them can be seen as examples of people who left the world behind in order to seek the Lord. And I can't stress enough that they are ordinary people, made extraordinary by following the Lord. A lot of, we look at these people and we think, wow, I could never do that. Absolutely the wrong attitude. The way to look at them is to say they could never do that. But for the grace of God and the leading of God in their lives. I was with, at a pastor's meeting yesterday, and one of the pastors had an insight that I'll share with you. He, he was meditating on the Word of God, and he realized that a lot of men in the Bible did their best work for Jesus when they were either asleep or dead. <laughs> what an encouragement! You know, when you're thinking, Lord, what can I do for you? Think, well, a lot of your guys did their best work when they were asleep or dead. Adam, the first man, did his best work when he was asleep as God produced Eve out of his side. No cosmetics there. Just Eve. Uh, okay, so that's it. That's my exoneration. I don't have anything beyond that. So if you don't receive that, I'm sorry. Uh, Lazarus did his best work for the Lord when he died and then rose from the dead. In the last days, we're ta uh, told that there will be men dreaming dreams, doing a good work for the Lord. And so if ordinary people, just like you and I, can do their best work either dead or asleep, how encouraging ought that to be that I can have courage in this world to take my stand? In verse 3, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. God had defeated their enemies. None could withstand him. Similarly for us, Jesus has, on the cross at Calvary, defeated every foe. Satan and sin and death have all been overcome by him. He fought them for you. Jesus came as God in human flesh, and then he took your place on the cross in what was a fierce spiritual battle against these foes, he rose from the dead, declaring his eternal victory over them. And so we uh, need not fear the devil. We need not fear sin. We don't fear death. It bolsters your courage to know that you stand in Christ, protected in him. My favorite illustration of this comes from the uh, classic movie, The Bear. How many of you have seen The Bear? It's quite old right by now, but uh, one of my favorite movies. Uh, the synopsis of it, the screen at synopsis of it is that uh, it's a little kind of cub, you know, bear cub whose mother dies. And after a few adventures, he kind of uh, pairs up with a gigantic grizzly bear that is played by Bart the Bear when he was still alive. And uh, so they're 
kind of paired together, and they go through various adventures with hunters and different things like that. And then finally at the end of the movie, when you think everything is pretty well calmed down and everything is safe, oh, it isn't, because here comes the cougar. Uh, this fierce mountain lion comes, uh, and he starts to chase the little bear cub. Uh, and for a minute, you think you're watching one of those National Geographic specials, and you're thinking, why did I invest time in this movie to watch this cute little bear cub get torn to shreds by this cougar? I mean, because, you know, the little cub, he's, you know, he's got little legs that are this long, and, and it's amazing, I mean, you know, that he gets away at all, is, and, but he finally comes to the, to the side of the river, and the cougar is stalking him, and, and I mean, it's just terrifying, you know, this cougar's coming up, and, and he's getting ready to pounce. And at the last minute, the little bear cub turns around. He stands on his little tiny legs, and he gets up like, and he goes, ah, ah, to try and scare the cougar away. And just when you think the cougar is going to pounce, he starts to quiver, and he starts backing up. And you think, wow, what's this all about? And then the camera pans back, and about 20 yards behind the little cub, his buddy Bart the Bear has shown up, and he's up nine feet tall, spitting stuff out, you know, and, and the cougar thinks, I'm outmatched. Uh, I uh, did, hey, Bart didn't know that was your cub. Sorry about that, uh, you know, kind of a thing. And to me, the, I don't, I've never seen a better dramatization of what it means to stand in Jesus Christ. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And, and, and sometimes we feel cornered and, you know, chased down and cornered by the devil, and he's just about to tear us limb from limb. And then we remember, oh, wait a minute. All I have to do is stand because I stand in Christ. He's there with me. He is in me. And the devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, but he can't touch me. And so that's what's happening here. Verse 4, see, I've divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. The Israelites had received their inheritances in the land. In our case, we are promised all spiritual blessing and every necessary spiritual resource as we walk with the Lord in the world. Need grace? It's yours in abundance. Need mercies? They are new every morning. Need forgiveness. Simply agree with God and he is faithful and just to forgive you in your sin and to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you need salvation, it's been provided for you by Jesus Christ. You don't earn it. You don't uh, attain it. You simply receive it by faith. Verse five, and the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Enemies remain for the Israelites to defeat. It is ever so with the people of God as long as we are on the earth. But greater is he that is in us than the enemy that is in the world. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As we yield to him and his promptings, we find ourselves acting with boldness, certainly an aspect of spiritual courage. One great biblical example of this would be the Apostle Peter. Few, uh, the night of Christ's crucifixion, he was so afraid that he backed away from a little servant girl. 
and wouldn't admit that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. A few days later, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit, he stood up and addressed a crowd of thousands and boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. What was the difference? Just the Spirit of God indwelling him, empowering him, uh, that we also have as ours in abundance. Verse 6, Therefore be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. The Israelites had the book of the law of Moses to guide them through a treacherous world. We have what they had and so much more in the completed word of God. Truth is an unshakable foundation for courage to stand upon. When you're convinced that the Bible is the truth of God, that it is the very Word of God, that every word of it is authoritative, inspired and inerrant, it bolsters courage like nothing I know. Verse 7, Unless you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. The Israelites had enjoyed a season of victory over the world. They had defeated their enemies and could defeat the remainder of them from a posture of strength. It reminds me of those of us who received the Lord later in life after living in the world and being of the world. God saved you and gave you dramatic early victories. You enjoyed a season of rest and went about defeating enemies both within and without. Many of you could get up and, and have a testimony like mine that, uh, you know, all of a sudden you received the Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins and, and things that you had struggled with for years. You had no desire to do anymore and you had the power to overcome. You were set free from so many things. So why return to your former ways of life? Sadly, you might feel like you have the freedom to revisit certain old habits or hobbies. You might have the freedom, but you might also find that they become snares and traps. Leave them and continue to leave them behind. You don't need them. Verse 9, For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations, but as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Wouldn't that be great to be, you know, that superhero who like chases a thousand, you know, enemy soldiers? Well, if you've been born again, and especially as I said later in your life, you are that person. You've experienced this in your life. This is a summary of your testimony. When you and the Lord stood against them, lifelong addictions were broken. Hearts were changed, marriages were saved, families were reunited. I remember one brother called me, he'd gotten saved, and he, he called me. It was the most exciting thing in the world. He said, guess what I didn't do today? And I go, what? It was, I didn't swear or cuss all day today. You go, really? He goes, yeah, I don't know how that's possible. I just realized it. And, and, and I could relate to him because I grew up in a family where... There were only like 12 words and nine of them were cuss words. And the other and then there were a bunch of gestures, you know, and so it was just, you know, people, it's just things like that. You, you know, after you're a Christian, you know, it's kind of funny because 
sometimes, I don't know if this still happens because the world has deteriorated, but after I became a Christian and, and people who would know I was a Christian, uh, they would cuss and then say, oh, I'm sorry. They always grab, oh, sorry. You know, uh, that doesn't happen that often anymore, but... Uh, and, you know, people try not to cuss. I remember, uh, you know, to bust out the rest of my family when Mary, my, my daughter was born and, and we would go around them. I would have to s- say, hey, can you can you not cuss? Can you quit cussing? We really don't want Mary to pick up these words. You know, OK, you know, and that would last for about three hours. And then I'd say it again. And I mean, it was just because and I realized, you know, we, there was a tension there. Uh, you know, I, I didn't want to be too overbearing because I, I knew that. My family, they, they didn't have the power to not cuss. But at the same time, I was concerned, you know, and so, but that's the thing. But then you become a Christian. Maybe it's something seemingly as simple as your language, but as complicated as an addiction or a relationship. And God gives you the power to chase a thousand. And you stand in an absolute victory and you think, where are my enemies that have held me captive all this time? It's an amazing thing to come to Christ. God commands courage. Three times in the first chapter of the book of Joshua, the Lord commanded Joshua. He said, be strong and of good courage. He can command you to have courage because of all the ways he encourages you every day that muster your courage. So the Lord doesn't look for courageous men and women and say, oh, I can use you. He looks for ordinary men and women. In fact, he looks for subordinary men and women so often because Paul in his epistle says not many mighty and not many wealthy and not many of the rulers of this world, but just the average everyday sub, uh, you know, uh, ordinary people. That's who God looks for. And then he says, be courageous and, and he commands it and we're able to do it because of these things and others. So don't let the world overcome you with fear. Be courageous and leave uh, and go on leaving the world as you journey homeward. What a great exhortation for the times in which we live right now. People are afraid. Maybe you're here this morning and you're afraid. Watch the news for 10 minutes. You will be if you're not. It's like, I mean, they're using words like financial Armageddon. And, you know, apocalyptic changes in the world. If they only knew. But people are afraid. And if you're not a Christian, you have good reason to be afraid. But not just because you've lost your investments or you might lose your job or those kinds of things. The Bible says, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear him who, after you're dead, can kill the soul in the sense of you being sent to an eternity separated from Christ. Now, as Christians... We need this message today, be courageous, because we're in that same world, losing our money, maybe losing our houses, maybe losing our jobs, but we are not to be of that world. We are to rise above that, to be seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ and to portray and promote the hope of a relationship with God through Jesus. What an opportunity when everybody around you is talking about crazy things that are happening and what's going to happen and what's the new president going to do and what's this guy in Iran going to do and I heard this and I heard that, don't be drugged down into that. I mean, I'm not an expert on any of those things. And so I don't, I don't even want to engage in a lot of those things with unbelievers. 
I want people to look at me and say, wait a minute, how come you're not bummed out like I am? How come you're not afraid? Oh, because I have a friend. His name is Jesus. He conquered death. He defeated sin for me. I live in a different realm than you. The world is dead to me and I to the world. I'm looking for uh, my Savior to come. People need that hope today, more perhaps than they've needed it in many years. Let's be courageous. Verses 11 through 16, it takes carefulness for you to cleave to the Lord. Joshua gets a little mushy here, but in a manly way. Because he says in verse 11, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. And uh, he's talking in this sequence of marital life, saying, you know, love the Lord. And then Joshua expands on it as a marriage metaphor. He says in verse 12, or else if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them and go into them and they to you. So they can cleave to the Lord or they can cling to the people around them by intermarrying with them. Trouble with intermarrying was that they were already married to the Lord. Returning to any of the practices of the people around them would be like committing adultery. I don't know about you, but when I think about my disobedience or indifference to the Lord as if I were committing adultery, it is a much more sobering impact. James thought so, and that's why he wrote in his epistle, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? God is jealous over you in the best possible way. He loves you and knows that his love is pure and undefiled. If, if you've been a parent or a grandparent, you can relate to this. When you look at your child or your grandchildren, you want what is the absolute best for them, something that is pure and undefiled, no matter what it is, a career, a relationship, whatever. You, you want that, and you are jealous for them, and you fight for them, and you, you, you stand for them. And when they're kind of going off on a tangent, or night, you, you reel them back in. And this is what God does for us because he knows that his love is ultimately what you desire in your heart of hearts and what you need to fully satisfy you. One of my all-time favorite expressions in the scripture is from the book of Ecclesiastes where it says that God has placed eternity in your heart. Every human being conceived and born has an understanding in their heart of eternity in the sense that there is a God and there, there's a yearning for him and a, a, a desire to discover him. And that can only be ultimately filled, that desire, that can only ultimately be satisfied when you meet God through Jesus Christ. So when God sees you going after something in the world that he has died to deliver you from, he says this is adultery to make you understand just how severe it is. Should the Israelites cling to the nations around them, they could expect the consequences of verse 13. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. God would simply stand back for a time and let them have what they wanted. Why would he continue to drive out enemies that they embraced? 
The world is a place of snares and traps, scourges and thorns. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But if you've ever backslidden, you know how true that is. Now, Joshua drives home his point. He concludes his talk here with the leadership in verses 14 through 16. Behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you shall perish quickly from the good land, which he has given you. You know in your hearts that God loves you and has begun a good work in you and will complete it. You know in all your souls that he will never leave you or forsake you and that all things are working together for the good. You know not one word of his to you can ever fail. If you were saved later in life, you know what the world is like. If you have been a believer all of your life, you can see what the world is like. You don't have to experience it for yourself. Returning to or turning to the world will defeat and destroy you. God is jealous over you to protect you. Take careful heed to yourselves, Joshua said in verse 11. Your love for God needs constant care. His love never wavers, but yours can. Are you careful every day to cleave to the Lord? One way to know if you are is to be identifying the traps and snares that are set for you in the world that will become scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes. And so you need to know every day that there are traps and snares, uh, lures and temptations, whatever metaphor you want to use. There are things out there seeking to draw you away from the Lord into the world. Now, this word for scourges. It talks about scourges and thorns. This word for scourges can mean goads. A goad was an implement that you used to drive a dumb ox one way or the other. There are lots of goads out in the world, things and people that seek to drive you away from the Lord. Thinking of Joshua is thinking about he and Caleb and their courage when they were part of the 12 spies that went out initially into the promised land. Then they came back. Ten of the spies said, we can't go in the land. There are giants in the land. We'll be killed in the land. Are you crazy? Uh, and, and this was an intensive peer pressure against Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb said, no, we've got to go. There was never any doubt that we were going to go into the land. What are you guys talking about? And it intensified. They wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. They were goading them to get on board with the majority opinion. If you're a Christian, there's always going to be pressure, a goad for you to get on board with the majority at home, at school, in your workplace. It always seems like you're going against the flow. You need courage to uh, stand against that and carefulness to recognize it when it's happening. And then there are thorns in your eyes. That's even more descriptive. Let's think of, I was trying to think of an illustration here. So let's think of images you see that are ungodly or ideas you entertain that are unbiblical and kind of make this a graphic illustration. A uh, huge problem today, mostly among men, 
uh, in, with pornography, especially on the Internet, with the viewing of, of these images. Uh, a lot of your families have already been touched by this. Uh, and if you're working through that, all I can say is that God is powerful and he can deliver you from that. But let's imagine for a minute that you're sitting there in front of your computer screen and there's the temptation to look at something that's illicit, something that you know you shouldn't look at. What would it be like is if, if you clicked your mouse and that screen opened up and a giant four-inch thorn shot out of the computer and pierced one of your eyes? Because that's the illustration here. It's a thorn to your eye. It's similar to what Jesus said in one sense in the New Testament. He says, hey, if your eye offends you, why don't you just pluck it out? But he's saying here... You know, if you're looking at something like that, you might as well be taking thorns and, ah, you know, and, and nailing yourself with it. I'll bet there wouldn't be as much problem with Internet pornography <laughs> if your web security was uh, Thorn 3.0. <laughs> what are you guys using for web security? Thorn 3.0. What does that mean? Here, let me show you. And it's funny and, and it's interesting, but it's true. I mean, the Bible says these are thorns to your eyes. So I don't believe that. That's why you engage in these things. You don't believe what the Bible says because you don't get a thorn in your eye. Oh, but you do, spiritually speaking. And you begin to get blinded spiritually and you start this downward spiral. Your life becomes a life of outward Christianity, not of inward purity. The word translated careful in verse 11 can be rendered, take good heed. Those three words mean speedily and diligently hedge about. It's an awkward sentence, but we sometimes talk as Christians in terms of building a hedge around our lives. It's an image from the vineyard where the farmer would always plant a thick hedge of thorns around their grapevines to keep out the vermin. Even a small opening in the hedge allowed the critters to come in and spoil the fruit. Back in the 1980s, there was a gritty cop show. Some of you will remember it, Hill Street Blues. Every episode, Sergeant Phil Esterhaus would close his morning briefing by telling the officers on his shift, let's be careful out there. Cleaving to the world requires carefulness. We need to be careful out there in the world. And we might add to Sergeant Phil's advice and say, let's be careful and courageous out there. That's our mission today. Let's be careful and courageous out there. God is jealous over you. Have the courage to leave the world and go on leaving it. Be careful to cleave to him. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy to have you open your word to us in ways that we can understand. We want to just take it in, drink it in, digest it, Lord. Uh, have you use it to change our hearts? Uh, you know, Lord, we don't have to remember everything that was said or even memorize the whole passage, but just in being here and being exposed to your word, Lord, we've been given a new enthusiasm, a new expectancy. Uh, we've been encouraged and built up. And we thank you for it. I also want to pray, Lord, this morning for anybody here that's not a Christian. They've never been born again. They have not confessed to you their sins and been saved. Or maybe they're just not sure. We've been here this morning talking about you and something that we said or many things that we said have touched their hearts. Maybe they are entangled in 
some of uh, some sin, maybe one of the things that we even mentioned this morning, desiring to be set free from it. Maybe they've even tried to be delivered from these things and have had no success. Well, Lord, that's because your Holy Spirit isn't indwelling them. They've not been born again. They, they can't ultimately have success over sin and over the world until they know you. And so, Lord, I want to take just a minute and invite your Holy Spirit to identify those people because you love them. You love the world, Lord, and gave your Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And if there's one or more here this morning, Lord, that need you, we want to give them the opportunity to reach out to you. Right now, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, we're going to just quietly sing through a chorus or two. And uh, if you're a Christian, I'd ask that you would pray for maybe there is someone you know that's here that isn't a Christian or just in general that the one or two or more that are here in the fellowship hall that don't know you, that they would come to know Christ. Uh, pray for them. And, and if you're here this morning and, and you can't honestly say, if I died tonight, I would awake in the presence of Jesus Christ, absent from my body and present with the Lord, then it's you that we're talking to. It's you that the Holy Spirit is drawing to Christ, showing you his beauty and his glory his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And so let's pray and seek the Lord, do some honest heart searching with God so that we know where we stand with him. Let's pray and sing together. Thank you, Lord. You give a love that none can measure. You bring your joy to my thirsty soul. Offer a life that lasts forever. You give a grace like none I know. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Father, now we pray that by the, by the love that you have uh, revealed on the cross at Calvary, that you would draw men and women, perhaps even children, into your kingdom this morning. While we're here praying with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to do something. And it, it's based on um, scripture in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, uh, while God is speaking through Isaiah, and he says, my... My arm is not so short that it can't reach you. And it always reminds me of a rescue situation as if someone has fallen into a hole and needs someone to reach in and grab them and pull them out. They can't get out on their own. And that's the condition of every human being before they know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're, they're, they've fallen into that hole and there's no religion, there's nothing that can get them out. But God is reaching out to you if you're that person. All you need to do is reach out to him and believe that. Believe that you're a sinner in need of salvation and that Jesus is your Savior and you can be saved. And so what we ask people to do as a token and a symbol of, of their desire to know God and to meet him is to just raise your hand as if you were reaching up to be saved. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ or you're not sure 
of eternal issues. Now is the time of salvation. Today is the day to get your heart right with the Lord. Raise your hand so that we can pray for you. We just want to see. God bless you. Anyone else? You're here today and you want to know the Lord. God bless you. Anyone else? The Lord died on the cross publicly. He died a, a death of shame. And he did it for you so that you wouldn't have to die eternally in your sins. A couple have uh, reached up to the Lord today. Is there anyone else that would know the Lord today and have their sins forgiven? Raise your hand as we close. Praise the Lord. Now, God, we thank you for the work of your spirit. And I pray for these uh, at least two individuals, Lord, who have expressed a desire to uh, connect with you and know you, Lord. I pray that uh, you would reveal yourself to them in power and by grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Uh, if you raise your hand, we'd love to chat with you. Come forward to the guys and, and just say, hey, I raised my hand this morning. I want to know more about Jesus. And uh, we will pray with you. And if you would like, take your information, get you a Bible, or uh, otherwise help you in uh, the f first steps of the Christian life. For the rest of us, uh, perfect love casts out fear. And God has a perfect love for you. And he is perfecting you. And so let's let's be careful not to be drawn down to the world, but to live above that, to set our affection on things above where Christ dwells. I'm not saying there aren't issues or that we can never talk about anything that involves those issues, but make sure that we're doing it as Christians with Christ in glory from victory. And may God bless you and keep you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.